In the United States and Great Britain in the 19th century, there was a competitive activity that at one time might have been the most popular sport in either country. Tens of thousands of people would show up to witness it live, and the top athletes got endorsement deals and had their own trading cards. And, of course, tremendous amounts of money was wagered on the outcomes. However, it wasn't football, baseball, cricket, or boxing. It was competitive walking. Learn more about pedestrianism, a.k.a. competitive walking, on this episode of Everything Everywhere Daily. This episode is sponsored by Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. I recently had the chance to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond, and I can attest to its exceptional aromas with hints of caramel and vanilla intertwining with its oakiness, which provide a well-rounded flavor profile. Taking a sip is akin to experiencing a piece of bourbon history firsthand. Heaven Hill Distillery may be America's most quintessential bourbon distillery. Established in 1935 after the end of Prohibition, the distillery was established by the Shapira family and has remained a family-owned distillery to this day. In 1897, Congress passed the Bottled in Bond Act, which set forth strict rules for any bourbon labeled Bottled in Bond. Heaven Hill Bottled in Bond bourbon goes beyond the stringent requirements of the law by aging its bourbon for seven years, not four. The end result is a gold medal-winning bourbon that truly stands out. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill Bottled in Bond. Heaven Hill reminds you, think wisely, drink wisely. This episode is sponsored by ButcherBox. Summer is right around the corner, and that means cookouts. No matter what your preferred food is for a cookout or a barbecue, ButcherBox can help you make it the best. If you want to serve up some hamburgers, ButcherBox has grass-fed ground beef to make the perfect smash burger. Want to cook up some steaks? Well, ButcherBox has that too, with some of the best cuts of steak, such as New York Strip, ribeye, and filet mignon. Do you like grilled chicken? Well, ButcherBox has some of the best pasture-raised chicken that you will find anywhere. And if you really want to wow people at your next cookout, you can try grilling some of their wild-caught salmon on a cedar plank. Sign up at ButcherBox.com daily and get a special deal. ButcherBox is offering my listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com daily and use code daily to choose your free-for-a-year offer. Plus, get $20 off your first order. As hard as it may be to believe, one of the most popular sports in the 19th century was walking, or as it was known at the time, pedestrianism. Before the rise of team sports like association football, American football, rugby, baseball, and cricket, the biggest sports were individual sports like boxing and pedestrianism. While pedestrianism was competitive walking, it wasn't quite like the similar events we have today. More on that in a bit. The origins of pedestrianism are believed to date back to the 17th and 18th centuries. Wealthy British who owned their own carriages or coaches would have footmen who often followed along on foot while they rode in the carriage. They naturally began to bet each other on the ability of their footmen and how far and how fast they could walk. These pedestrian contests began to appear at fairs and other festivals. The walking contests weren't like the races we have today. They tended to be endurance races and very long-distance affairs. For example, a track might be set up, and the contest would be to see who could walk the most laps in 24 hours. In the late 18th century in Britain, several people began to engage in feats of extreme walking, which grabbed the public's attention. 
perhaps the first celebrity pedestrian was a man by the name of Foster Powell. His walking career began in 1764 when he walked the 50-mile road from London to Bath in seven hours on a bed. His biggest claim to fame was that in 1773, he walked from London to York and back again. The total distance he covered was 402 miles, or about 646 kilometers, and he did it in five days, 18 hours. In 1787, he walked the 122 miles from London Bridge to Canterbury Cathedral and back in under 24 hours. Crowds would often flock to watch him finish his walking feats. Despite his popularity, it didn't really make him any money, despite being one of the first celebrity athletes. The next famous pedestrian was Robert Barclay Allardyce. His greatest walking feat was accomplished in 1809, when he walked 1,000 miles, or about 1,600 kilometers, in 1,000 hours. It took him from June 1st to July 12th to achieve this incredible accomplishment. Allardyce's record set the benchmark for other early pedestrians. Just six years later, in 1815, a 50-year-old George Wilson set out to demolish the record. He was going to walk 1,000 miles in just 480 hours, or 20 days, and he was going to do it on a measured track at the Blackheath Common in Surrey, England. When he first started, nobody really paid attention. However, as the days progressed, more and more people started to show up to watch, and he began being covered in the newspapers. By day nine, there were 7,000 people in attendance to watch George Wilson walk around a track. People began placing bets on him, and there was believed to have been over 5,000 pounds that were wagered. It became a sensation. Circus acts showed up, as did people selling liquor and everything that came along with consuming liquor. Eventually, the police arrested him for disturbing the peace on day 16 after he had logged over 750 miles. The crowd disbanded, and he was acquitted of the charge. However, he lost the 100-pound prize, which was going to be given to him upon completion by the people of the town of Woolwich. A collection was taken on the London Stock Exchange, and he was given the 100 pounds. Seven years later, at the age of 57, he managed to walk 1,000 miles in only 18 days in the city of Hull. That same year, he ended his walking career by walking 90 miles in 24 hours at a racetrack in Newcastle, and 40,000 people showed up to watch him walk. And I just want to make a personal comment here, lest you get lost in all the numbers. Back when the pandemic was still fresh, I set about going on walks every day with my Fitbit and began tracking my number of daily steps. They have badges for walking 10, 20, 30, 40,000 steps in a day. And I managed to hit 45,000 steps in one day. Their top badge is 100,000 steps in a single day. And that's about 45 to 50 miles, depending on your pace. I had developed a plan for getting the 100,000-step badge. Basically, I would wake up at like 2 or 3 in the morning and then just walk all day until I completed it, and I'd figure I'd hit it around 10 or 11 p.m. Unfortunately, life got in the way and I had to move, and I never got around to doing the 100,000-step challenge, but I hope to do so someday in the future. My point is that walking this far is really hard, and it's something that most of us have never had to do. Just doing a 45,000-step day left my feet and legs incredibly sore, and that took me about eight hours to do. Pedestrian matches became extremely popular, and by the middle of the 19th century, they were up there with boxing and horse racing, the other two big 19th century sports in England. There were also several famous women pedestrians. In 1864, Emma Sharp became the first woman to achieve the 1,000 miles in 1,000 hours mark, and in 1878, Ada Anderson managed to walk 1,500 miles in 1,000 hours the second-best 1,000-hour performance in history at that time. She was dubbed the Champion Lady Walker of the World by newspapers. 
The pedestrian craze eventually jumped the Atlantic and took hold in the United States after the Civil War. Prior to this, the most popular sport in America had been boxing, but it found itself banned in most states due to its perceived barbaric bare-knuckles nature. Pedestrianism filled much of the gap that boxing left in the states where it was banned. In 1867, a door-to-door bookseller from Providence, Rhode Island, Edward Payson Weston, won $10,000 by walking from Portland, Maine to Chicago, Illinois in just 30 days. Weston was one of the first celebrity pedestrians in the United States, but certainly not the last. In December of 1874, at a roller rink in Newark, New Jersey, he set out to walk 500 miles in six days. It drew incredible crowds and so much wagering that the governor threatened to call out the National Guard. Some gamblers who bet against him tried to pour chemicals on the track to stop him. He made it with under 30 minutes to spare. Weston's popularity really made pedestrianism take off. His six-day exhibition, which he did in Newark, became the standard for pedestrian competitions, although there were some shorter ones. The six-day race allowed for a long race without competition on Sunday, which was against the law in most places at the time. Weston's big rival was an Irish immigrant by the name of Dan O'Leary. O'Leary and Weston had very different styles of walking. Weston would swing his hips like modern speedwalkers, and O'Leary would pump his arms, also kind of like modern speedwalkers. Children would actually imitate the walking styles of their favorite pedestrians. Some companies began to create their own pedestrian teams. As the popularity of the sport increased, things became more formalized. In 1878, a member of the British Parliament, Sir John Astley, established the Long Distance Championship of the World, which was a six-day race that became known as the Astley Belt. Perhaps the pinnacle of the pedestrianism movement may have occurred in New York City in 1880. It was a race for the newly minted O'Leary Belt, which was the American version of the Astley Belt. The six-day event was held in the original Madison Square Garden. As with all six-day events, it began at the stroke of midnight as Sunday turned to Monday. There were 18 competitors, three of which were black. At the time, there were no racial restrictions or segregation in pedestrianism. There were small tents set up near the track for the pedestrians to rest, eat, and use the facilities. Many of the pedestrians at this point had corporate sponsors, including salt companies. The arena held 10,000 spectators, and it was full for most of the six days that the competition took place. Most people would go there just because it was a place to be seen. The rules for the event were go-as-you-please rules, which meant that you could run, walk, or crawl. You just had to propel yourself with your own legs. The winner of the race, and setting a new six-day record of 565 miles, was Frank Hart. Frank was coached by Dan O'Leary, and he was also one of the three black entrants to the race. He won a total of $21,567, plus an additional $3,600, which he legally bet on himself to win. And that's worth almost a half a million dollars today. Frank Hart became one of the most popular athletes of the 1880s, and he had his own trading card. Hart had migrated to the U.S. from Haiti and quickly became one of the first celebrity athletes in the U.S., and most certainly the first famous black athlete. He had a share of racial abuse with people poisoning his water during his races and some people throwing pepper in his face. However, at least from the existing newspaper accounts, he was respected and popular amongst both black and white pedestrian fans in the North. Today, he, like pedestrianism itself, has mostly been forgotten. Pedestrianism began to fade in popularity in the 1880s as professional team sports rose to prominence, baseball in the United States and association football in the UK. There were still pedestrian exhibitions, however. In 1884, Edward Weston walked 5,000 miles in 100 days. In 1896, he and his old rival Dan O'Leary teamed up to walk the 2,500 miles across America in nine weeks. 
In 1909, the 71-year-old Weston walked 3,895 miles from New York to San Francisco in just 109 days. Pedestrianism did, however, eventually find its way into track and field as the event known as speedwalking. Unlike the go-as-you-please rules of the 1880s, speedwalking has very formal rules that state that one foot must be on the ground at all times, and that is the formal distance between running and walking. It became an Olympic sport in 1908 and has remained one ever since. There are some areas where the spirit of pedestrianism is still alive. Through hiking is just hiking the full length of long trails. For example, the record for hiking the 2,189-mile Appalachian Trail is currently 41 days, 7 hours, and 39 minutes. And that averages out to 53 miles a day over very mountainous terrain. There's also an event called the Barkley Marathons, which is held in Tennessee every year. The course is in the mountains, and you have 60 hours to complete the approximately 100-mile course. Only 15 people have completed the 100-mile course in the allotted time since the event began in 1986. I don't think pedestrianism is ever going to make a comeback. But I have to confess, after having spent so much time reading and researching this topic, if somebody were to host a six-day race like they did in the 1800s, I'd probably watch some of it, or at least follow it online. Everything Everywhere Daily is an Airwave Media podcast. The associate producers are Thor Thompson and Peter Bennett. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so over at patreon.com. And remember, if you leave a review or send in a question, you too can have it read on the show.